0: Number 9 from September of 1941 Relics Written by Brother Carl H. Claudie Most Masons know of the great and treasured mementos of the past, which while actually the possessions of certain lodges and grand lodges are really the relics of the whole craft. The Bible on which Washington was obligated. Chief Jewel in the Crown of Fredericksburg Lodge No. 4, Virginia. The marble gavel with which the father of his country Masonically laid the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol. More valuable than its weight in precious stones to Potomac Lodge No. 5 of the District of Columbia. The Washington Masonic Letter. Possession of New York the Bible from St. John's Lodge of New York on which Washington was sworn in as the President of the United States, the Paul Revere urn with Washington's hair in it, belonging to Massachusetts, the commandery skull, once a road agent's, cherished in Montana, the small rawhide trunk in which the charter of the First Lodge west of the Rockies was brought to Oregon the original gavel of Texas, etc., etc. But for every relic well-known are a thousand of lesser fame, some of them even more interesting than those which have been so well set forth in print that they are household names to well-informed Masons. A thousand bulletins the length of this would not suffice to catalogue them, but a few may be mentioned as unique and interesting. The Register of Mobile Lodge No. 40, Mobile, Alabama, was signed by Lafayette when he came to this country after the Revolutionary War and made a trip through Alabama. Several places on that route are marked with tablets showing where he stopped or was entertained and visited the lodge in Mobile. The block of marble from Alabama in the Washington Monument was furnished by the Grand Lodge of Alabama. Montgomery Lodge No. 11 of Montgomery has some interesting old letters and correspondence concerning the furnishing and shipment of this block. The Hall of Aztlán Lodge No. 1, Arizona, has on the wall of one of its rooms a framed demit signed by Paul Revere when he was master of St. Andrew's Lodge of Boston, Massachusetts. The demit, which bears the seal of the lodge, was issued to John Meyer, 10 August Salvation, 1782, and of Masonry, 5782. Though the ink is somewhat dim and faded, it is in a fair state of preservation. Historic Masonic relics in Connecticut are many. They include the sword worn by Brother Israel Putnam in the Revolutionary War, treasured and exhibited by Putnam Lodge No. 46 of South Woodstock. Of what lodge he was a member, It is not known. The spurs worn by General David Wooster at the Battle of Ridgefield, in which he was mortally wounded, are the possession of Wooster Lodge No. 79 of New Haven. General Wooster brought the first charter to Connecticut in 1750 and was the charter master of Hiram Lodge No. 1. A precious document is the agreement between the Grand Lodge of Connecticut and Amos Doolittle, the engraver and innkeeper, in which, for a loan of $100 without interest, the Grand Lodge was to be furnished quarters for its annual meetings, together with fuel and candles, as long as it desired. This is dated 1802. Amos Doolittle is the artist responsible for the pictures used in Masonic lectures. Among the revered antiquities in the possession of Delaware Masons, is the Lafayette Lodge Charter, signed by Lafayette himself and his son and secretary. The Lodge was formed in January of 1825. The Lodge is alive and active today, living up to its great name. During Lafayette's visit to this country, he was often entertained in Wilmington. Among other Masonic antiquities in the Masonic Museum in the Temple in Wilmington are... Altar of the Blue Tavern Lodge used in 1805. Master's Hat used during Revolutionary Period. The Demit of James Mahaffey, granted by Ireland October 3, 1792. And a Grand Lodge Seal dated 1806. The Oglethorpe Bible, in the possession of Solomon's Lodge Number no. 1, Georgia together with the unfinished chart in the archives of the Grand Lodge, which establishes the succession of the Grand Lodge of Georgia from the colonial Grand Lodge of Georgia, evidencing the resignation of Samuel Elbert, Grand Master, and the election of William Stevens, our cherished Georgia relics. Iowa has so many valued and important relics that it's difficult to make a selection. The Paul Revere Urn in Massachusetts contains a lock of George Washington's hair. Iowa has a lock of hair which it is claimed came from the head of George Washington. It was presented by James Diver of Keokuk, Iowa, who claimed it had been in his family since 1836. It had been presented to the Divers February 7, 1836, by an old friend, John P. Pierre, but no one knows how it was obtained from Washington. An original copy of the first Masonic book printed in America is one of 14 copies in the United States and one in England, 15 copies now known to be in existence. Probably Iowa's most valuable Masonic possession is an original copy of Robert's Constitutions, published in 1722 only one other copy is known to exist. In the museum is a ledger kept in 1780, showing accounts running into hundreds of thousands of dollars, among them one of Robert Morris, a financier of that period. His account totals about £100,000 English money. In the Proceedings of the Grand Encampment for 1883, facing page 60, is a facsimile of a Knight-Templar diploma issued by the Invincible Order of Knights Templar of St. Andrew's Lodge No. 1, Ancient Masons, Charleston, South Carolina, August 1, 1783. Iowa has the original of that document. Among important Masonic relics in the possession of the Grand Lodge of Kentucky is a cane, which was then the property of and held in the hand of General Albert Sidney Johnston of the Confederate States, when he fell at Shiloh. Another is an autograph album, containing the signatures, post office addresses, military rank and Masonic affiliation of the 423 members of the Johnson's Island Confederate Prisoners Masonic Association, while imprisoned at Johnson's Island, Ohio, in 1864. Many Masonic relics are scattered throughout Missouri, most of them in private collections. The Missouri Historical Society in St. Louis has a large number of interesting relics, largely diplomas and Masonic regalia. In Missouri's Masonic Museum are treasured a mosaic picture of George Washington that hung in Sulgrave Manor, his ancestral English home, for over 100 years. The shoulder straps used by Admiral Kuntz during the World War, when he was in supreme command of the U.S. fleet. Masonic sentiments signed by General Pershing and by Chauncey Depew. The Mark Twain gavel and petition for degrees. Autographed signatures and medals of great masons of foreign lands and of the U.S.A. Autographed original poem on Lindbergh flight by Faye Hempstead last Poet Laureate of Freemasonry, and the only bronze statue in existence of Washington wearing Masonic regalia. Montana is still rather young, and its history still so fresh that it's rather hard to pick out one thing more outstanding than the rest. The hall of Virginia City Lodge Number 1 and Montana Lodge Number 2, both at Virginia City, is full of relics. They have the original charters, the first ones issued to any lodge in this section, and the first minutes. The Grand Lodge of Nebraska cherishes a set of jewels made of tin, made by a member of Nebraska Lodge No. 1, and the first set of jewels ever used by a Masonic Lodge in Nebraska. This set of jewels is in possession of Nebraska Lodge No. 1. Also treasured is a gavel made from a log of the building in which the first Masonic Lodge in Nebraska was held in April of 1855. This building later had to be torn down because the Missouri River was washing the land away from it. New Hampshire is proud of a past master's jewel presented to Samuel Larkin in 1804 the first past master's jewel ever presented to any of its past masters, and probably the first one ever given in the state. It is handmade of silver, the work of one of Portsmouth's whitesmiths, as they were called, to distinguish them from blacksmiths who worked in black metal or iron, while the former worked in white metals, silver or tin. In bylaws in New Hampshire, occupations of whitesmith and blacksmith are mentioned. The Grand Lodge of New Mexico possesses the Masonic apron of Brother Christopher Kit Carson, trader and Indian fighter of the early history of New Mexico. And Montezuma Lodge Number no. 1 of Santa Fe, New Mexico, possesses Brother Carson's rifle, important relics of Masonic and historic value. New York displays a pair of glazed china punch bowls, four and a half inches high by eleven and a half inches in diameter. Bearing Masonic emblems and colors, used at the banquet September eleventh, eighteen twenty-four, following the historic visit of the Marquis de Lafayette to Jerusalem Chapter, Royal Arch Masons, and to Columbian and Morton Commanderies, Knights Templar. In the Masonic Museum in Sioux Fall, South Dakota, are some oxen yoke that were used in the breaking of the original sod seventy-five years or more ago. Firearms of the early settlers and a very creditable collection of Indian beadwork, clothing, and other paraphernalia, all used, collected, and turned in by pioneer masons. In the Grand Lodge Library in Salt Lake City, Utah, are the square and compasses used for a time in the first Masonic Lodge organized in Utah Territory. The lodge was Rocky Mountain Lodge No. 205, Missouri Registry, held at Camp Floyd, while Colonel Albert Sidney Johnston was in command. Its dispensation was dated March 6, 1859. The jewels were made out of a portion of a camp kettle by the Army blacksmith. They are the property of Damascus Lodge No. 10 and were loaned to Grand Lodge. Of the 49 Grand Lodges of the nation, Only twenty have any kind of Masonic museum, and but half of these are of sufficient size and interest really to be effective in the influence a museum is supposed to wield. Any good museum may be of importance. The good Masonic museums are of profound importance and untold value to the craft. They keep tradition alive. They wield a restraining influence against those too modern modern-minded brethren to whom streamlining and modernization should be applied to the ancient craft. They stretch back ghostly hands for those who examine their treasures, to touch the hem of garments worn by forgotten men of the craft, of years the memories of which have faded. Museums are of untold help to the historian. And few are the years in which one or another does not yield some new fact to some researcher with a new slant on historical investigation. The museum is to Masonic history, tradition, and story what the Hall of Archives is to the United States government. In the Library of Congress in Washington, among many other treasures, rests the original Declaration of Independence and a Gutenberg Bible. Who can question the inspiration both have had upon the unknown thousands who have, with awe in their hearts, seen the documents which more than any others made this nation what it is? For the one gave to the world a new thought of human dignity and worth. The other, the first fruit of the art of printing from movable type, was that discovery of the arts which has had more profound an effect upon mankind and upon his religion than any other ever made. In Alexandria, Washington Lodge are priceless relics of the father of his country, including their chair in which he sat as charter master. Literally hundreds of thousands of Masons have been thrilled to see it, and in imagination at least, watched George Washington wield the gavel of Masonic authority. In lesser degree, every Masonic antiquity wherever kept and displayed, wields also a gentle influence towards the preservation of and the reverence for those ancient laws and principles which make Freemasonry what it is and not something else. In musty attics, between the pages of old books, hidden in old trunks and drawers, tucked away in old safes and safe deposit boxes, are doubtless thousands of Masonic treasures. The owners either do not know what they possess or, knowing, have so much sentimental regard for their keepsakes that they retain them with all the risks of loss and fire rather than give or loan them to Masonic museums where they may be protected for all time. Two hundred years ago, a piece of colonial furniture could be bought for a song. Now, an authentic table contemporary with Washington's day may bring hundreds if not thousands of dollars. The aprons worn by the brethren of the earliest American lodges were then but pieces of lambskin. Today they are the priceless possessions of those to whom Masonic history is a living history. Jewels, gavels, warden's pillars, crockery and cutlery with Masonic emblems fired or engraved, old minute books, certificates, charts, all the hundreds of varieties of what may well have been but junk when new, is now of value and interest. And the time to collect it is now, not later. Every year sees fires, movings, losses, discardings, which lessen the number of Masonic treasures which might be saved, did their owners but take the little time necessary to search them out from their hiding places. If this short talk intrigues those who hear it to look in their archives, and if by chance there is found some Masonic memento which, of small use or worth where it is, may easily become a prize and priceless exhibit if in the possession of Lodge or Grand Lodge or Grand Lodge Museum, how well worthwhile this bulletin! This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AF&AM of Minnesota who have been engaging and inspiring good men